Um, as you know, uh, Easter only falls on one Sunday, and I'm upset because you don't get a day off. Nobody gets a day off. You'd have Sunday off anyway unless you work in a market. And so it's good to be king, and I have proclaimed that we're going to remember uh, that the Lord is risen for several weeks in a row. And so uh, this week, uh, I just want to say it again, the Lord is risen. And the Lord is risen. risen And we'll save the third one for later. But um, I I just, and and also, the the church is always sort of bifurcated, almost schismatic in terms of we want it to be our our very best. We want to show off, you know, uh, the local church as best as we can. Tripping over wires is not a good idea. Uh, and so we want it to be as professional as possible, but also we're just people. We want, it, we want to uh, raise up Jesus Christ because he's risen, but uh, we also want to be authentic. Well, here's what happens when you spend too much time on the perfectionism, okay? Ready? Watch a micromanaging pastor plan Easter. Okay, everybody, listen up. This is Easter. Shuttles and golf carts in the parking lot. Now, has everyone in here, staff or volunteer, shared our graphically designed Easter invitation on their personal Instagram? This is for the kingdom. Who is trimming these hedges? A youth intern? For heaven's sakes. No, we don't have ministry time. We do have a petting zoo outside, though. And connect cards, connect cards, connect cards. Do we have the right mixture of haze in the fog machine? I mean, we don't need new members, but did we get the rose petals in the visitor parking spaces we are pro jesus and pro easter bunny donuts check coffee check make sure we have gluten-free communion fat-free communion whole 30 communion vegan communion paleo communion non-gmo communion honestly everybody needs to keep their phones out because i will be saying some very tweetable quotes this morning the easter basket is full but the tomb is empty he can put your life back together when it is in pieces and some of y'all are still focused on Reese's. We need more diversity up on that stage. This is Easter. No, the youth pastor cannot do announcements. What about that one minority guy that came one time? Can we get him to do announcements? We don't want any visitor to feel uncomfortable in any way at any time, but we will ask him to fill out a connect card with their children's names and ages. I don't care what size the stage is, Becky. I need a rapper up there, a full choir, and six men dressed as Roman centurions. Why would you even ask about the worship set list? It's Jesus paid it all, Christ alone, Christ is risen. Can we just, can we get that other worship leader that's a little bit more attractive? This is the best great team we have. Who trained these people? For one Sunday, please, can you just not be weird? Can we put her at the auxiliary door? Quit your ministry. Move these people out of here. We got a service starting in 15 minutes. Make sure all the visitors know that they are under no pressure to give, okay? But we'd love to see them come back, and if they do come back, we're starting a series on giving next week. (laughs) I'm not so bad, am I? (laughs) Oh my goodness, was that overkill or what? Barb showed me that, and I just winced through the whole thing because too much of it is true. Okay, the Lord is risen. And that's what counts, not how many camels you have uh, 
near the empty tomb. Because we have an empty tomb. We have several appearances that Jesus made in his risen form to as many as 500. But the most important thing that continues through the ages is 2,000 years later, we have the church and faith continues and swells around the world. The Lord is risen. Your turn. Risen indeed. Okay. Now, my favorite children's book, getting back to the message here, is, uh, is Goodnight Moon. And there's a story going around with my older son that I used to read it to my grandson. And uh, apparently, once I was reading it and I fell asleep reading it because that's what Goodnight Moon is designed to do. <laughs> Goodnight Moon is a, 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 a picture book where uh, you're in the children's bedroom and you spend most of, the, most of reading the book saying goodnight to everything that's in the room and everyone that's in the room. And when it's done, you, the, the child, as young as he or she may be, gets this image of, you know what, maybe it's time for me to go to sleep. And I say to you, goodnight, Mom. Goodnight, Dad. It brings a sense of closure to the day. It brings peace. That book was designed to say goodnight to children. Uh, I just want you to understand that in this next passage that we're in in the Gospel of Mark, we're looking at what Jesus teaches. And sometimes it's so simple you go, huh? But sometimes also he has a deeper meaning to it where you're asking, well, help me here. What are you getting at? You see, when Jesus teaches large crowds, they throng to hear him. And when they throng to hear him, he comes across teaching these little stories to the masses. Stories that use common object lessons like I'll uh, use with you this morning. Uh, stories that you can picture yourself uh, doing your, uh, by yourself. But every time Jesus teaches them, he teaches them and he puts in a little twist. So they move from the common experience to the out-of-box, out of deeper, uh, the, the more deeper meaning. And crowds love it, even if they do not get the meaning. But I've got to be honest with you, and what I'm about to read to you, I, I will admit that I've often read and just kept going, not thinking, what is he getting at there? And if I've done it, uh, maybe you've done it too. You've gone on to the bigger things, the better things, the more quotable things than what we're going to be looking at this morning. But Jesus taught them for a reason. So in our tour through the Gospel of Mark, we have to also look at what Jesus teaches. Not just what he does, but what he says to the crowds. And we see a pattern. And we also discover the reason behind that pattern. Being the Son of God means this. Okay, if, if you haven't got this yet, this is foundational. Being the son of God means you are really, really smart. I hope you allow Jesus to be really, really smart. I hate to say this, but maybe even a little smarter than you. Now, we're not talking physics smart. We're not talking calculus smart, though he's that smart type of smart too. But he's also people smart. He knows how to communicate and through his communication, how to motivate. And, and then he knows how to speak on a variety of levels using the very same uh, account or stories. And he does it on purpose. 
What he's doing as he teaches these, these parables, and understand that there are probably many in these large audiences that goes, that's a good story, but what's the point? What he's teaching is, uh, I'm giving you a story that has a point. Your job is to seek for the point. Sometimes he's very uh, overt, but other times he's obtuse. You really have to dig, such as his disciples didn't get it. So as we're looking at the parables, what Jesus is talking about on the deeper level is the way that the kingdom of God operates on a daily basis. This is what it's like in heaven. This is what it's supposed to be like in his church. Now, it won't be this way in, necessarily in the rest of the world. Sometimes the world and the church have common values, but sometimes not. And so we, we get a little glimpse at the end of the passage that we'll be in today when it says this. With many such parables, after he had just taught several, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he would explain everything. Now, before Easter, we finished the, this study in Mark, uh, looking at the parable of the soils, or it's called the sower, but really it's the four types of soils and why some bear more fruit and some don't bear any. So this became his pattern. This is the way he taught consistently. He uses parables as an object lesson, and he gets God's good news, how the kingdom operates through these object lessons. He does it so they can understand it. But he also uses parables that says exclusively and then takes his disciples aside and explains to them as if he was their tutor because he was. Now, what, why parables? Well, first of all, parables are safe. You're not going to get arrested. You're not going to get persecuted. You're not going to get crucified for telling a story. I don't think. So he does it so uh, that it's safe and, and, you know, if somebody says, oh, you're talking about me there, he says, prove it. All I did was tell a story. Parables also connect. There's a common issue that we can identify with. But his parables are also obscure often. In other words, there's deeper issues involved. And unless you uh, find yourself wanting to go deeper, you might get stuck on the upper level and never get down to the deeper levels. The final thing I love is that parables are memorable. Friends, some of you have gone away talking to me about a story I told, and I asked, what's the point? And I'll never do that again, I promise. What was the point of the story? Abada, abada, abada. I get it because I, I've done that too, okay? We remember the account, and we've got to dig deeper to go further. So if I was to say, Good Samaritan parable. You'd go, oh, I know that one, and walk me through it. If I was to say prodigal son, oh, I know that one, and you'd walk me through it. Well, now we have five memorable parables in just a few verses. And it's five short stories. Some of them are just a sentence long. But each of them, understand, Jesus tells them to a large crowd, and then he draws his disciples toward him afterwards, probably to explain them. But just as his disciples learned a deeper meaning, our job is to get that deeper meaning today also. And here's the big idea. How the world operates is not always how heaven operates. 
there are some similarities, but there's some big differences. So let me read these five accounts. I'm beginning in Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, I'm beginning at verse 21. He said to them, do not bring, uh, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear. As he goes on to the next parable, he continued, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And he taught other parables about that. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. And again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant on the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all plant garden plants with such big branches that birds of the air can perch in its shade. And with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. Aren't those great stories? Yet I have to admit, I had to use another language. I had to use other books because some of them just aren't that straightforward. I don't understand what he's getting at. So play with me here, would you? What are these stories? Uh, again, he's using five very simple objects or four objects and five parables. He's using a lamp. He's using a measure. We're going to use a measuring cup. He's using a, the idea of return, which I'm going to use as a checkbook. And he's using a, a, a seed twice. Now, this is a large seed, though I want you to know I once collected pine cone seeds that were about this tall. So it's not the largest of pine cones, uh, <clears throat> but it's one of them. And so he starts with a lamp. And he says, uh, do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Uh, instead, don't you put it on its stand? We may not use lamps today, but they did then. And tonight, or tonight, as maybe I'm taking a walk at night, I might take out this flashlight. And as I walk on a dark uh, night on a narrow road, and it's hard to see what's ahead of me, the thing you do is you don't do this. You don't hide it under your armpit. You put it ahead of you so you can see what's there. Now, I never knew this before this week. So I hope you will gain some help in your understanding, too. When it says, do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or bed? It's written that way so you'll understand it. But really what it says is a lamp does not come to be put under a bowl or bed. Last time I checked, lamps have no legs. Neither do my flashlight. You know, no legs on that. If it did, 
Wow, I could, I could be a gazillionaire. But they have no legs. What does he mean? He's meaning that he has come as the light. Jesus is saying, I have come. A lamp has come. And when a lamp comes, you don't put it under a bowl or a bed. Lamps, uh, you know, we usually bring them. But instead, Jesus says, I have come, I have been sent. I am God's light for human. I, God is not hiding from you. So God is known through his son, Jesus. And all that you, you know, pretty much need to know about God, you can learn by observing Jesus. And yet, Jesus comes, and in many ways, he is hidden. He can't show you all of his perfect character. He can't. Uh, you can't honor him in all the ways that, that, that he deserves honor because he must be concealed now. There is more to discover about this lamp. And we will discover more as we learn more about Jesus, uh, as we study his word more and, and, and more is revealed to us. But the fullness of Jesus, we're going to learn when he returns. And... <laughs> Uh, when he comes, he will be completely on full, display, on full display. And friends, we will be floored at his glory. And we will probably fall to the floor because it's too much for us to absorb. And Jesus says, now, listen now. Make sure you're listening now so you will be prepared later. We are watching God in a veiled way now. And yet we do have the Gospels that take us deeper into the, into the re real identity of Jesus. So as you have the Bible in your life, listen to God. Take what you have and put it to work. And that leads into the next one. And notice the next one says, be careful to observe or be careful to, uh, to listen to what I am saying. That's twice he said, listen, listen, listen to a large crowd. And then he talks about the measure that you use. And, and imagine a measuring cup. This one has 16 ounces. It's not the largest of measuring cups. But it's, what he's getting at is it's not uh, uh, how much it holds. What he's getting at is what's the contents? What do you put into the measuring cup? Is it the finest, the best? Are you holding things back? Because he says what you put in will determine how much you get back and how much you get back will be even added to when he says even more. Understand that you know, with all of the human effort that we put into knowing God, God is the one who will reward us. The even more comes from God. We will get what we put in and more because that's how the kingdom operates. That's how God operates. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. The next one, the checkbook. It's, it's, amount, it's about the return that we get from what we put in. And, and, and this one's really going against the world system as we know it today, as our world system wants to emphasize justice, especially at the core of our current justice system. We're looking in fairness and equality for those who aren't receiving fairness and equality. Now, God offers salvation to all. That is fair. But he's also saying, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Imagine this. 
you're, you're a gazillionaire. You've earned it, maybe. And he's saying, now you're going to get even more. Ready? This doesn't sound fair. Ready? You're poor. You're so poor, you're insignificant, so I'm going to take away what you've got. And you're going to go with it. Well, that should get half of you at least really ticked at God. How dare you do that? It's the underserved, the underprivileged, uh, the underclass. We, we need to become equal with them. And, and friends, I'm not saying throw away our justice system. I'm not saying throw away our, our, you know, the, the whole way our government operates. What I'm saying is understand the kingdom of God also puts responsibility on each individual. And, and by, uh, by, by doing that, what Jesus is saying is listen to what I'm speaking, absorb it, put, put it into your, into your soul, and then act upon what you hear. We have a present possession of God's word acting in us. And for those who act upon that present possession, even more will be given. But for those who are too busy, for those who put no value on what Jesus says or who he is, nothing will be added. In fact, what they do have will be repossessed. We are responsible in this life. God rewards what we do with what we hear from his son. But that's not the whole story. This is what... It's like we're taking a step up and a step back and a step up and with each of these little parables. He goes on to talk about uh, the, the, uh, the seed that is sown and then when it's put into the ground, the farmer goes to sleep and all that farmer knows is, you know, I did this last year. And when I did it last year, those seeds, right about the same place where those seeds, uh, I, I dropped them, something started to grow up. Isn't that amazing? I wonder why. And Jesus says, you don't know why. I took biology in college and passed. And there I learned all about, you know, glycogen re replacement and Krebs cycle and all these things that have to do with, with, um, <clears throat> with plant life. And it was truly marvelous. But at least in 1967, we didn't then know what is it that takes a seed and makes it open, sprouts roots, and a stalk. I'm not sure we still know today how do we take something that is not alive and it comes alive. I think I'm going to have a few appointments with some of our biologists this week. And I'm glad that you can help me maybe, but I, I don't think we know it. Certainly they didn't know then. And he's saying there's an innate power in the seed. And by itself, all by itself, the soil produces grain, the stalk, the head, full kernel, and then you go and you harvest it. What he's saying is, though we have real responsibility, God's at work too. God is also always working through the teaching of his son. And right now, if you are reading or listening, God, understand that his spirit is also working on us. 
God is also at work supernaturally doing things within us that, that we need help or we would never be able to do by ourselves. It is God's irresistible power at work in our hearts. Oh, I am so glad. I am so glad it's not all left to me. And the final parable, he says, deals with the seed and its size versus its significance. He says that the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when it is planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all plants. It's about appearance. And again, this would be considered a large seed. I think there's a seed in each little petal, but you can still see it. It falls to the ground, but the mustard seed, because I planted mustard seed in my herb garden, is really tiny. Now, it's the smallest seed known at the time. We know of smaller seeds now, but it was the smallest seed that they dealt with on a consistent basis. It also falls into the ground. It also sprouts, but the significance of it is it, you know, there is a huge plant growing from it, sometimes 20 feet tall, often 10 feet tall. And what Jesus is doing is he's tutoring the 12, almost like a, a, you know, a, a mustard seed. Because when you think about it, uh, didn't these 12, let's just say it, go beyond all human expectations? They're a ragtag band of 12 men of whom 11 only worked out. They were of dubious, dubious character and maturity. They would not be considered world-changing uh, type of individuals. And they followed a rabbi uh, who, who you know, Isaiah predicted, oh, we wouldn't, you know, we never would have guessed this was the Messiah. But through tutoring the 12, Jesus takes them beyond the expectations that everyone has for them. What they absorb being around Jesus for those three years is what sprouts out of them through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the result, it's not a big bush that birds sort of camp on and make their home. The result is global saturation of Jesus' followers. Global saturation of Jesus' followers. If you go to many parts of the world, they may not be willing to tell you they're Christians, but there are Christians there. The original 12 tutored by Jesus, you know, you'd have to say if you were looking at them then, you'd say, who would have known? These guys are true mustard seeds. So as we go through Mark, we're looking at this is what the kingdom is like. It's not always the way we, we anticipate. It certainly goes against the world system often, but not all the time. But as we do this, we're coming to an understanding of who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus of Nazareth? And we come to the conclusion, as, as it says in verse 1 of chapter 1, this Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Now, 30 years later, as Paul was listening for decades... Uh, and he was a late disciple. But he, as he was listening, he added to what Jesus said about himself. And look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 20 and 21, where he takes us beyond into the heavenly places of who this Jesus is. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness 
dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Our Christology is growing. It's growing through time. We can easily call, say that not just is the tomb empty and Jesus has been seen in his resurrected form, but we also understand that we are gaining more and more knowledge of who this Christ is. And the final revelation is coming where we will see his power and his majesty and glory. And he's just hinting at it now. That's Jesus. But what about our anthropology? How does this great Christ that he is revealing to us in hidden words, hidden terms, how is it to be affecting us? What do we do with the words of Jesus? And as he told his disciples then, we read his words now. And here's what he tells us. Listen carefully, all humanity. Listen carefully to my words. Because they are designed to fit you for God's kingdom now. Hear them. Absorb them. Let them shape your soul so you will live kingdom life today. Two words that usually lower people's uh, motivation level. Two words in the church that often lower a motive. Well, uh, yeah. The first two are prayer meeting. The second two are Bible study. Probably because they're so common. But they don't elevate. They don't tend to motivate. Jesus says, hear these words. Why? Because as you absorb them, they shape your soul. So when Peter, James, and John are up alone on a mountain with Jesus, and Jesus appears in a heavenly form with Moses and Elijah, the voice of God the Father thunders from heaven, and he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Meaning Moses take a back seat, Elijah take a back seat. Your financial advisor take a back seat. World religions, take a back seat. Listen to him. And we've been listening ever since. And we come to the same conclusion that Peter comes to. There's a time in John chapter uh, 6, 7, and 8 when after Jesus feeds the 5,000, uh, 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 Jesus then talks about him being the bread that you must eat and the, the cup that you must drink and you must drink his blood. And disciples are so offended by what Jesus says that they start to leave him. And he looks at Peter and he goes, are you about to leave me too? Peter has this great answer. Lord, where else can I go? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Listen to Jesus. And you start with the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And understand that what he does say will often confuse you. What he does say can often inspire you. And let's be honest, sometimes what he says ticks us off. We get angry. You're asking me to change. You're asking too much. 
But what it's designed to do, what Jesus wants to do through his words is transform you. That your knowledge of this one thing, your, your knowledge of what Jesus says is going to take your life and shape it and, 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 and sort of guide the direction that, that you will live in because Jesus said it and it's become a part of you. Now we know that our culture doesn't necessarily uh, think that way. You are too because you are studying him. But our culture often thinks in other ways. Uh, let me give you an example. If you were to do an interview on the street with just people who walk by and you were asked, um, name one thing that Jesus taught. How many you think would, could give you a good answer? Go on, just name one thing. Um, now, it's not fair to do that. Don't do it to me, please catch me off guard because I go blank and I get nervous and whatever but go ahead just name one thing a uh, golden rule what's the golden rule uh, uh, turn the other cheek yeah twinkle twinkle little no he didn't say that uh, <clears throat> but at this point understand that his words continue to come to our souls and they're involved in the decisions we make and the directions we take. Let me just leave you with four words that motivate me and I hope my decisions are made on these. Follow me, Jesus said in Mark chapter one, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. John chapter 5, my father is always at work. That has just changed me so that every positive and negative situation, I, I, I have to say, God has not abandoned you because evil is happening. My father is always at work, and so am I. What is God doing is the question I need to ask. How, or how about this one? For the Son of Man, John 10, 45, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for the many. That's Mark 10. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for the many. Lord, that's what serving is all about. And finally, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. What has Jesus said that's shaping you that you have absorbed and you realize when you make a decision these core values that Jesus had of kingdom operational manual are being uh, displayed by you let's pray church father right now we stop and our prayer is that your words would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, as the psalmist said. That your words would be what comes out of us, not in a teachy and pedantic and denigrating way, but your words would come out of us and would be shaping everything we do, our character, our decisions, our relationships, the way we handle money, the way we handle possessions, just, just everything. For you are fitting us for the kingdom. And thank you 
that of all the things that people expected the Messiah to do, no one expected him to come to serve and to be a ransom for the many. No one expected that. But we have eternal life because he did. Thank you. For now, as we approach communion, Father, we remember that he went for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He gave up his body. He shed his blood. Thank you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. If you are new to us this morning, our communion is open to all. The way we do it is we ask you simply to go to the station near you, clip off some of the bread, dip it in the cup, put it in your mouth, and go sit down. There is some gluten-free here for those who must have that. But would I ask now that uh, people would come forward and pick up their elements. <laughs>